All right, so today's part two of God's provision and testing of your faith. And uh, I think we'll appropriately read from James 1 down through verse 8. And next week we'll move into a different perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. James has a lot to do with practical issues, and I think <laughs> that's really going to come up in a major way next week. So, all right, beginning at James 1. 1. James, a bondservant, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ and the twelve tribes which are gathered abroad readings. My brethren, count it all joy when you follow the various trials. How's we all, how are we all doing this hour? <laughs> Somebody quoted that to me the other day. I just kind of paused a little bit. <laughs> Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Wow. <laughs> if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and will be, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And we covered those two verses last week. We're going to back up a little bit there too today. This is part two of the same four verses. Verse seven. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in his ways. All right, so uh, let's just open with prayer. Father, we're thankful for the scripture and all that it means to each and every one of us in terms of our day-to-day walk. May the Spirit lead as we open this very, very relevant epistle uh, from the Apostle James. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we usually do, Let's review last week, and I'm going to do this in kind of a somewhat different way, and I'm going to load you with scripture, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to let scripture really tie in to what was covered, Roger, by you last week, I think. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> All right, just look at the two verses that precedes 7 and 8 that we're going to be covering today. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God. Now, typically in in the scripture, when I bold something, that's a point that I want to emphasize. So pay attention to what's bolded in all the scripture that follows. Let me repeat. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to us liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith and no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So the question to the class this morning, whose wisdom is this? And Roger covered that nicely last week. And how do we obtain this wisdom? Do we all have an answer to that? Whose wisdom is this? God's wisdom. Very simple answer. That's now you're past first grade, you're in second grade. How do we obtain this wisdom? I think that's a Ask little God. bit more of a challenging question. Jones, what? Yes. Ask God. Yes. That's simple. Yes. By, by knowing. But, the, but there's a process here. That's what I'm looking for. What's the process by which we get wisdom? All right, bear with me here because I'm going to use scripture entirely to answer this particular question. Acts 7.22, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now, what do you make of that? I mean, that's Luke giving us a description of Moses. Do you know people who are saved or clearly part of the body or pretty wise in terms of the ways of the world? That doesn't mean they're necessarily walking in them. 
But should we be uninformed about the world that's around us? I mean, look, look at Paul's training in terms of the Jewish tradition, right? A pretty smart guy, really. So we're told here that Moses was aware of, I mean, that enabled him to, for God to use him in Egypt before the traversing of the Red Sea and into the Mount, and into Sinai. So, I mean, that was not lost, but that's not God's wisdom. It's the wisdom of the Egyptians. Okay, point number one. Isaiah 29, 14, for I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So this wisdom that's described in Acts and Isaiah here is the wisdom of the world system, right? Not necessarily wrong, but it's not what God calls us to when we approach him in prayer. Paul says a lot to the Corinthian church about wisdom. And I could quote much more than I'm going to do here. But it says here in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Keep in mind, okay, the source. 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So again, the source of God is well stated in 1.30. And 2.13, the epistle to Corinth, these things we also speak not in words which were man's wisdom teaching us but the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Okay, so we're seeing power being demonstrated. We're seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Bringing in somewhat of a new concept there in terms of the knowledge of him. Colossians 1.9, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And James 3.17 deals with this again in a later chapter, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, using scripture, as I just, you know, provided to you to consider, how do we get the wisdom of God? You have to know him. All right. And what's the mechanism? Well, we know, we get to know the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Lord Jesus Christ is, in fact, um, kind of a, He's, he's relaying God's wisdom. If you look at Merriam-Webster or Oxford or other dictionaries and, you know, define wisdom, it's really an application of knowledge that is fulfilling. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but kind of summarizing the world system. But here's what I'm going to conclude. This is simply my conclusion. You can argue with it, perhaps. I said, thus, this wisdom is not of the world, but comes from the power of God. 
We see that in several verses that I mentioned, working through the Holy Spirit to have us know and increasingly be transformed and conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the power of God enacted through the knowledge of him that spirit led. So to gain wisdom, we have to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit leads us in that direction. And that's the power of God that's impacting our lives on a day-to-day basis. Discussion, Jim. Uh, you know, uh, getting access to the power of God only comes through Scripture, though. Okay. I mean, I think that through, this summary is a little longer than that, but yes. It, yes. It comes through the diligent study of the Word of God, because God's Word, the Bible, is the only communication that God actually made to us, or for us. You know, and through the spirit, of course. Yeah, this doesn't come down to us through angels. I no, mean, I mean the, the point is, this is not experiential. This is ultimately applied scripture is what it is. Other thoughts? Wayne? Well, if I go to Paul's writing, the first chapter of Romans tells us that it placed in the man to, to know his power. And his, well, it, was it 20? Oh, 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. Right. God made it evident to them. Since okay. the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. Well, it, would you define that as wisdom then? Or would you say that that's just knowledge? Okay, knowledge. Okay, applied knowledge is that we're created beings. We're not evolved yeah. over time. You know, we all, can somebody quote Philippians 3.10? That I may know him. Mm-hmm. Oh. Go ahead. Yeah, it starts out, that I may know him. And, the, and what? Resurrection. And the power of his resurrection made, yeah. made and the fellowship of his sufferings, right, being made conformable unto death. His death, presumably. All right, good. So if you're okay with this, wisdom is not simply that magically happens. It's, it's ultimately the spirit. Keep in mind, you can intellectually read scripture. I mean, we could put a lot of brain power into memorizing scripture. I often felt I was in a very legal church for a period of time, and they thought that memorizing scripture was really the platform to living a Christian life. I, I disagree. I think ultimately allowing life to have you meditate on scripture is what changes your life. It's not simply memorizing. It's really putting yourself there in the circumstances that God gives us to grow in great grace and truth. It's experiential knowledge. It's, it, it's experiential in the fact that you're applying scripture to your day-to-day existence. And by the way, we're saved 24-7. So the wisdom of walking in grace and the power of the resurrection is in fact the wisdom that God provides to us through knowing him. Hey, Bob. Yes, boy. Yeah, just some thoughts about, you mentioned the verse in 30, uh, 1 Corinthians one thirty. Yeah, it's by his doing that you were in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness. Uh, there's the use of wisdom, but look at verse 24 as well in, a, in the context. Um, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Gentiles, foolishness, but to those who are the called, Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Okay. But the agency is in verse 30, like you mentioned. It's God's doing, right? 
That's right. It, but the wisdom of God is not, it, it's not a simply a, a, another, let's think about this, the spiritual gifts. It's not a gift. <laughs> this is a process that occurs over time through the power of the Holy Spirit, rightly dividing the word of truth and growing this. As verse 30 says, Roy, it says, for you are in Christ Jesus. That's positional truth. But from positional truth comes conditional truth and application. And that's wisdom, applied knowledge, if you will. That's another simple world definition. Of right. The beginning, the beginning is certainly positional, but then the next phrase yes. is who became to us right. Right. wisdom for, yeah, that's the work of God doing that. Right. And uh, maybe a, a, would it be helpful, a simple, uh, tell me if this is true, that wisdom is really the correct application of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And when you think of it that yeah. way, who can only apply knowledge correctly but God? I have no argument with that. That's good. Yeah. And it's yeah. and it's and it's Christ living in us, so Christ desires to live out that knowledge within us as we Yeah, you know, but think about God's wisdom as it applies to our day to day life. And I mean every day we have infinite number of circumstances that come up and how do we respond to those circumstances? Mm-hmm. Well we count it all joy for the sufferings that God gives us in trials and tribulations, but all that aside, where's that come from? Is that just simply, gee, I'm going to intellectually say, gee, God said that I should have joy during these trials. No, it's the wisdom of God that impacts the life and how it responds. Well, it isn't, and of course, in this context, he's, he wants to convince us that, that trials are not unusual in the believer's yeah. life. That's part of his, what James is about here, that, that you know, from other places, don't be surprised about these trials. Mm-hmm. And there's something that they're, they're for your benefit. So he wants to change our thinking or and our hence our wisdom about trials. Right, Jim, before you go ahead, but just a comment on that. The the wisdom of God allows us to put in perspective these trials in terms of their their opportunity for growth and grace. I mean we all have the, the human nature never leaves us. The sin nature is always there. And that's one of the most important things I think we need to teach, you know, believers, even new believers, that your sin nature is never going to change. It's the new nature we need to grow in grace in, and that becomes wisdom applied as we get to know him better. Jim, go ahead. Yeah, in uh, 2 Timothy 2, uh, 7, uh, Paul says, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The Lord will give you. Yeah. It's, it's a process. He doesn't just throw it all on it. Okay, I like that. He develops it. So I like that. Well, you know, we, you know, this is welcome, welcome to life, growing in God's wisdom through the power of the Spirit, getting to know Him increasingly day in and day out. You know, that's not instantaneous like some people yeah. expect it to be, I think. Well, well, just think about Paul near the end of his life. He considered himself among the greatest of sinners. Yeah. I mean, look at Paul. It, you know, he says, be imitators of me as I am also of Christ. Imitation is the human existence. Is how a life can be so dramatically changed by applying the wisdom that he's learned by knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that verse, Paul was not underestimating his sin nature. He knew it exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. No, but how, how many believers just are working to please God and they fall so far short? I came mm-hmm. to the Lord to this understanding after I, I, I wasn't getting it done. You know, because the human ability to get it done 
is impossible. And scripture clearly designates that. And these verses that try to describe wisdom, and maybe I haven't done it very well, I think really put it in perspective. This is a whole different process than having the wisdom of, of the Egyptian world, the wisdom of the world system, or the wisdom in each of our occupations, whatever it may have been. No, you're doing well. You're letting scripture explain scripture, and that does it the best. Well, thanks, Jim. Yeah, we'll give it to the Lord. Any other thoughts on wisdom? I mean, this wisdom is not... It's all joy. Doesn't that sort of imply that maybe it's not always joy, but he counted it as joy. Right. So it's not a... Well, I should be happy about this. I'm going to go on a rabbit trail a second, but, you know, as believers, we should be filled with joy. Yeah. I mean, when I felt that I couldn't please God by every thought and every deed, and I was falling so far short, I came to the end of myself, and that made me have a rest. And beginning with a rest is a joy to be a believer. No longer feel like I constantly am falling short. And that's his work in each and every one of us, giving us a rest. And from that rest comes peace and joy to follow. That doesn't mean there aren't trials. I mean, Peter talks a lot about them. James talks a lot about them. Paul himself talks a lot about them. But yet, joy is really what we need to experience here. All right, moving on. (laughs) Today's verses, 7 and 8. Okay. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Do, do, Do anybody, does anybody have another translation here that they might want to share with us? Jim, go ahead. Yeah, the Holy Christian Santa Bible says that that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. Okay, that's that's a nice kind of rephrasing of this. I think the interpretation's the same, but that's good. Mm-hmm. All, right. all right, let's move ahead then. Oops. Okay, for here, so here's the first part of this verse up to the semicolon. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. The verbs let and suppose are imperative. Why? And, 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 and Jim, read your version again, because I think it had expectations in it or something about yeah. expecting. That person should not expect to receive anything hmm. from the Lord. Why not? Don't we have expectations? In the flesh. <laughs> what, what leads to impatience in our life? Margaret witnesses this all the time. <laughs> and Bonnie, too. Expectations. Aren't we, all, aren't we in the flesh disappointed oh, yeah. by our expectations not being met? I mean, I'll very, be very warmly here. I wanted the Bengals to beat the Chiefs last week. <laughs> I'll put that to the flesh, you know, big time. But anyway, no, I, I, that's a foolish example. But I mean, does, doesn't the flesh get disappointed when our expectations aren't met? And I think we have expectations of our people in the workplace, expectations of our family, our children. I mean, and often we're we're disappointed that where's that disappointment come from? The flesh. Yeah, the Lord can never be disappointed. I know. Other thoughts about this? So why are these imperative verbs? I think what's imperative? Bob, I was just going to say it goes back to your previous slide where you bolded the point of ask by faith. Okay. And and 
And what others have said, it's, it's, it's in dwelling on Jesus Christ in, in, in the scripture, meditating okay. on the scripture. And if you're not doing that, you're not asking by faith. And so I think it sort of answers that. I think you've stated it well. And in fact, that, Jimmy, was that you? Yes, sir. Okay, good. I, sometimes I don't see everybody's picture right now. So that sounded like you. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm going to go to James 1, 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Boy, uh, <laughs> how are we all doing here? I mean, so when we act by faith, do we have expectations? Imperative, that means don't suppose anything. Let not each one of us suppose anything that he's going to receive from the Lord. Because we often, as Jimmy pointed out, the verse reflects this, we don't ask in faith. How do you know if you're asking in faith? I mean, that's a question we all should be asking. Patty, you got your hand up. I think you're giving it to the Lord. I mean, you're putting it in his hand and you're not taking responsibility for it somewhat. Okay, and what's the expectation of that prayer if it's in faith? That he's going to do it. Well, is he going to? Roger's going to answer that one. Well, he's going to act, but he may he may act and, you know, answer your request or he may may not. He may say, wait. I mean, there's it's his decision. I mean, that's what Patty's saying. You're giving it to him in faith and saying, Lord, however, and that's what however it comes out is I trust you for that. I I have faith in you. Okay. Right. So where's the weakness in all the unanswered prayer that the body of Christ gives to the Lord each and every day? Where's the, where's the weakness there? Wayne was self. Self could be, but that, then we're not praying in faith. I bet I bet there are plenty of bodies, members of the body of Christ that pray in a tremendous faith, and their prayers not answered in the way they would expect. I'm using that term in a prayer. Karen, what? Yeah. Well, we what we think he should do. Yeah. Yeah. I think is because I think I had I had an incident this you know that that I kind of expected. <laughs> I did. And I thought, okay, if I'm giving this to him, which I did in her, and I thought, so what am I expecting? And I thought that I I think what I should expect is that whatever happens, he will do it for yeah. what's best yeah. for me overall. You know, that, that he knows what's best for me and whatever happens, because I have given this to him, will be for my benefit. Yeah. And I thought, but I might not like that. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be what I thought. And I thought, well, that's, that's, I didn't get to choose that. But I just have to trust that whatever happens, now that I have asked oh. him to take care of this, will be for my benefit. Okay, you're praying in faith and the expectation, it may be there, but whatever, however the Lord answers it, it's okay. You know, keep in mind, we pray for others all the time, but that prayer life is really, inter- I mean, Rod's using that in our own lives, isn't he? Well, I was thinking of Paul, when he prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh, and then he put, you know, at that point he realized that, okay, I'm Live with it. <laughs> did Paul ever express in scripture how disappointed he was that the Lord didn't take this thought away? We don't see it in the text. So God must not have made that 
response well, three he, times just in case. Yeah, yeah, Roger, well, he came back around and said, well, if that's the case, if that's what the Lord is about, I'm going to rejoice in that. Yeah. He, he said, well, wait a minute. I'm going the wrong direction here. So I'm going to take you into the, you know, the, uh, what's I'm looking for, the mountaintop here. So where's the basis of our understanding how God answers or doesn't answer prayer based on our expectations? Now, assume you must be praying in faith. What's the basis of how we deal with this on a day-to-day basis? Uh, yes, uh, Kathy. Well, I, I think the idea here is that, you know, if it we, we expect it to, to be answered in a certain way, and if it isn't, then it's not answered. But it still okay. is answered. <laughs> he yeah. always answers. Right. Where, where, where do we come from in this body of believers here in terms of our foundation? I think it's being established positionally. And when we're established positionally, then we learn how to pray in faith that ultimately then, however God answers it, we put that into perspective for our own growth in grace. I I think if you're conditional entirely and, and thinking again that you're not really fully made righteous as we are made righteous, ultimately I think we can... Only in the flesh be disappointed in the absence of answer to prayer. And that's, right. the, that's the wisdom of God, isn't it? It it really is, Roy. Yes, thank you. Yes, it really is. That's wisdom that we get from Scripture. To what does anything in this verse relate? Kind of in part relates to what we were just discussing. What? So, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. You asked about the context. This is a question about the context. Mm-hmm. Well, are, are we all talking about, you know, these trials and sufferings that, that he's talking about that? So it seems like that, you know, the, the, the context here is that we're told he, the person is praying or asking well, about things, about trials. And so like Paul, so, you know, trial. so you think this is specifically related to anything we might request? Well, no, I, I think it's more focused on the, on the context starting from verse two onwards that he's, you know, um, considered all joy when you encounter various trials. This kind of carries on with the whole theme. And, and this, this is relating to, uh, receiving anything in my mind, but receiving maybe relief from that trial or suffering or, you know, uh, okay, Raj, thank you, Jim. Uh, well, the word anything re- uh, relates back to uh, the things not asked in faith. Okay, how about wisdom? Anything would relate to anything that relates to the wisdom of God, you know, ultimately partakes to each one of us. I think it, 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 in verse 5 it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. So anything, I think, is God's wisdom in terms of how to deal with these uh, requests that we make, let not any man suppose that he will receive anything if he's not has okay. the wisdom to receive That's them good. correctly. Mm-hmm. I think it could relate to specifics, Wayne. You're also saying that uh, we expecting something without asking maybe is way of saying you too. <laughs> First he says, let him ask and pray, and then for let not a man expect he will. Receive anything from the Lord, not necessarily asking, maybe from another. Is he, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Give me an example. I'm been saved, so I guess I don't have to worry about it anymore. Oh, I, I, I see. Away. 
he'll do whatever he wants to do. Well, that's kind of glib, isn't it? I mean, so I think this until until they find themselves in a real bad way or something. I don't know. Somebody had a comment out out in the teleprompter field out there. Okay. Oh, it sounds it sounds to me like it's. That man is the wrong man. Yeah. Uh, the man. Oh. So that man may be the wrong man. How about one of us? <laughs> Mike, how about one of us? <laughs> the old man and the new man. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's implied there, but I, yeah. I, I think when we pray in the flesh, what, what do we expect? We expect answers, and if they're not answers, we doubt God. Yeah. We, we, we were to pray in a way that we accept whatever answer God gives us. Remember, we're positionally placed. Our, and we're studying Philippians in our Bible study at home, and the verse we're starting next time is our citizenship's in heaven. <laughs> we ended at verse 19 in Philippians 3 the other night. So our citizenship's in heaven, so everything there is in place in terms of our being made righteous in the way God looks at us. So we need to learn that through wisdom, about our position and how God uses that perfect righteousness in terms of growing us in grace. Okay, the second part of this. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And double-minded is a compound word in the Greek, and I won't go into the Greek, but it means wavering, uncertain, and doubting. So... Jim, what was your translation and your version there? Uh, this is uh, what first, oh, first eight. Eight. Oh, okay. and insist and if indecisive man is unstable in all yes, ways. Yes. Unstable, okay, that's not in the um, Strong's definition, but nevertheless, unstable would be equally as applicable. Yeah. Wavering, uncertain, doubting, hesitating, as hesitating. Okay, other thoughts here about the double-minded man. Remember, the, the wind's blowing him back and forth, right? Okay. Now, I thought for this me, was kind of... Go, oh, go ahead. Somebody was going to say something? Uh, right. For me, it's that... It's that... Uh, uh, never mind. Okay. All right. When it comes to mind, let us know. We're not <laughs> sure. accusing you of being double-minded, all right? Okay. Oh, Bob? Yeah. Uh, in the Schofield Bible, uh, on, in this verse, it refers uh, it refers us to Proverbs three five, which is trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Now so, you're looking at the handout. <laughs> I keep threatening not to give the handout before the class. I'm going to go there, Kathy. That's going to end the class today if we ever get there. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, you're good. Uh, perfect. I think it's perfectly applicable here. And, and I'm going to par- you know, paraphrase that a little bit and put it in, under circumstances of interpretation as to how we can turn to the Old Testament. Anyway, so I think if this is of interest, and I'd like the class to give me their idea. Of interest, man here is a near, indicating that male sex, not anthropos, which is a more general term to indicate a person of either sex, is utilized. And in James, the same translation of man is used time and time again. Verse 12, verse 23, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. What should we make of this? 
Can we talk finally after class? <laughs> is, is he talking about mankind? So why do you think, who's this epistle written to? Basically, who's the audience here? Remember we covered that? Maybe, maybe you don't remember it. Twelve tribes. Twelve tribes abroad. directed to the, the Jews. Yeah, it's presumably over that, the area to whom James is writing. So what do you make of this? Why, why wouldn't James use anthropos, meaning a man or a woman? I mean, I don't have an answer. I'm just interested in what people are thinking. Because the men were the ones who... who uh, Taught, yeah, he thought this, that they needed the message more than women did. And all that, yeah, they they, they needed the message more than women. Women were not allowed even to know how to read any of this. Well, is that, that just a, is that just a chronological issue only at that time, uh, or does that relate at all to today's you know body of Christ? It's I thought this was written to believers. <laughs> When when we think of the acts that are involved here is doubting, when okay. we think of that in contrast to believing in trust, absolute trust, who does the doubting and who does the trusting? Our old man does the doubting, our new man does the trusting. And I think James is very consistent. I think the Holy Spirit was very careful here in... Uh, not talking so much about sex as he was about uh, the kind of a person that doubts is who we used to be. It's not who we are now. So you would say that it has a more general application both men and women then? Yeah. Well, let's speak about uh, our old nature, the old man. You mean there's no shortcuts? <laughs> you got one, Mike. <laughs> and in Go ahead, Roger. Paul says, Roman I, Paul I think says, Roy, well, you're you're talking about relating it back to the our old nature, our old man kind of focus. Right. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think I, that's good. Okay, that's one interpretation. It's good. Hey, well, I think you know, it directed to the Jewish you know, congregation. Keep in mind, these are Jews that are believers. <laughs> Uh, they are no longer Jews, but the tradition of the Jews, you know, ceremonies are ultimately men were always put in a position of leadership. And, you know, Paul has a lot to say about men and women, their roles. I mean, a man's role is really spiritual leadership, isn't it, in a relationship? But what about single women? I mean, if the, the issues were, where is that leadership coming from? It's coming from the Word of God. But, you know, I think Roy's interpretation is an interesting one. Maybe this is the, the old man that this is appealing to. And, you know, we can't really, you know, we can't be double-minded here. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, One of the no. things we learned in, in 1 John was that the new man does not sin, cannot sin. Okay. And doubting is sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Um, I don't know if that helps or not, but just another thought. All right. Well, we need to keep moving here a little bit now. Um, it's, you know, by the way, this is um, only used twice uh, in James, and, and here and in James 4.8. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near. To, I'm talking about double-minded now, my bad. Uh, double-minded here and says, it, you know, ultimately we need to, let me go back up here. 
draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So that term is only used in James, it's double-mindedness. But nevertheless, I think we can think about how it might apply elsewhere. What do you think about this? Does this imply that this man is necessarily a hypocrite or simply inconsistent and unpredictable in intent? What's a hypocrite? A person who pretends to be one thing but is actually another. So my interpretation would be this is not a hypocrite. This is a saved person who, in fact, waxes back and forth, whose faith is lacking, not praying in faith, does not have the wisdom of God. I mean, by the way, many commentators, or many, at least one in particular, thinks this is evidence of a hypocrite. I think a hypocrite is someone, as Bonnie said, always is in the plastic, if you will, not really real. Well, if we go back to the previous verses, he's being tossed to and fro. So he's already in this unstable position. This is just more information about that. Amen. All right, good. And how do we know if and when we are double-minded? That's probably a class in its own right. Won't the Holy Spirit, you know, kind of convict us of that and we'll realize that? Yeah, I think that's the wisdom of God as we do grow in grace. It's ultimately the Holy Spirit is more capable of recognizing what the source is of our thought process and our dealings with issues that come up in our life. We need to look at ourselves the way God looks at us. That's positionally based, Roy. Thank you. So Peter's an example of many other examples in Scripture about this double-minded man, if you will. All right, so being unstable in all his ways is only used here, but the idea of this not being a new thing is really demonstrated in the Old Testament. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Isaiah, therefore, the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is is taught by the commandments of men. Hosea, the heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. Matthew, no one can serve two masters, for either he will have have the one and hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Revelation 3.15, a great example. I know thy works, and you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I mean, examples go on and on about this unstable, double-minded individual. Constable, I think, summarizes this pretty well. In summary, God will help us take his view of trials, which James explained in verses 3 and 4, if we ask him to do so in prayer. We can be joyful while experiencing trials that constitute temptations to depart from God's will. We can do so because we know that if we remain faithful to God, he will use these trials to produce what is glorifying for him and what is good for you or for each one of us. But although he gives liberally, we pray doubtfully. Manton says, I think interestingly, is doubtfulness of the mind then the cause of uncertainties in our our lives and conversations? And Peter says something about this. You therefore, beloved, 
since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked. And I think we all are in a position to ultimately have that occur. So to close, Kath, here really, you know, closing in what you uh, really projected. Although these verses are from the Old Testament, I think these verses in Proverbs, they reflect a principle of God that's applicable to the double-minded man. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust of the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Amen. Amen. Okay, and to end quickly, prayer requests. Carolyn, did you want to mention anything in relationship to what you mentioned earlier? No. Okay. Other prayer requests today? Just. Uh, uh, yeah, I got one. Okay. Um, uh, being in this car, I hope the Lord would drive it, not me. Okay. So, I mean. Let him put, put me where I'm supposed to be, I guess, you know. Well, in terms of driving the car, let's pray with wisdom in that request, okay? <laughs> okay, well, right. yeah, we're concerned, Mike, about you always, and we uh, trust that the Lord is going to use circumstances to bring you to the attention of uh, what's doing right. Okay, our daughter-in-law has just been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. What disease do you know? Uh, gosh, about three words to it. <laughs> I can't remember. It starts with, uh, I just, well, it affects her, her, um, eyes, eyes, throat, it's an ocular, ocular, she gets, um, things in her throat, um, blisters and that kind of stuff. So, so she's being treated for that. Not Sherbert syndrome. No. 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 Well, you haven't. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. Well, anyway, okay. That's all right. Um, I think she's saving the medication that they use for cancer. Okay. Immunomodifier probably. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we'll pray. And what's her name? Angie. 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 Yeah. Okay. Angie. All right. Other requests here this morning? Martin and I are headed to Morocco on Wednesday. Pray for, uh, you know, dealing with the Gentile world from Europe that I'll be with and also the Arab world. And we're going to be kind of circumstantially placed in an environment that is uh, really a, a needy environment in terms of the ways of the Lord. So, okay, so we'll, we have a week there and we'll be back then. So, all right, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, there are many requests that have not been shared. We lift up Mike Hapola and his circumstances and we, uh, we feel for Mike and we want the wisdom of you to be provided to him as he considers next steps going forward. And we'd like to help in many ways, so guide us in that direction. When we pray for Angie and this recent diagnosis and symptoms that relate to it, we pray uh, very, very selfishly that, of course, you would bring her to complete relief and ultimately good care to the physicians that are taking care of her. So we're thankful for that. And for our trip abroad, may we be safe but also effective in, in ultimately presenting a Bible that the world never reads in terms of the way you work in us to have our lives be manifested to your glory. We're thankful for the service to follow, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.